Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Friday, everybody, and welcome to episode 28 of the Snyder Cut. We are getting up there. Uh, wild week. Wild week, to say the least. And it was all about the mouse house, the mouse trap, Disney. Bob Iger stepping down as CEO. Uh, this was something that, you know, we all knew was coming at some point. His contract uh, doesn't expire until the end of 2021. But to do it just so abruptly on the, the you know the day where Disney stock has just been hammered because of the coronavirus and its impact on things, I think they had to shut down Disneyland uh, Shanghai as well, um, and, and it was just like holy crap! There were like the reverberations were felt far and wide around the world, really. And we've got this we got this guy Bob Chappick coming in, and it, I was I was like surprised how much. People like seem to know about him. Like, <laughs> uh, he is the the guy who's been in charge of the parks. That may be why, because so many people have been kind of dis- dissatisfied uh, with some, you know, some of the season passes and things like that that they bought. Or, you know, I, I don't know if um, Galaxy's Edge opened a- as big as they wanted. So there's been a little bit of frustration in the parks. But either way, Bob Chavik is the new guy. Uh, you know, <laughs> meet the the new Bob, same as the old Bob, right? I love the photo that uh, that that Richard Rushfield chose to highlight in the Angler. Again, if you guys aren't subscribed to the Angler, you absolutely should be. Uh, and it showed both of them wearing the exact same like black suit and white shirt. And it was like, oh my god, who who let this happen at Disney? They're just like a, a CEO like closet full of these black suits and white shirts. Um, so that was like gigantic news. And, and you know, Iger. Obviously, you know, you can make a lot of jokes. He's this, you know, about the CEO of any corporation really, but this what this guy did is remarkable and his legacy will bear that fruit. Like he acquired Pixar, he acquired Marvel, which like the foresight to do that, you can't understate. He acquired uh Lucasfilm. Like go went out, got Star Wars, got Indiana Jones, two of the biggest, you know, box office hit franchises of all time. So, like, plus, you know, he he left, he basically went out on a high note. You know, the guy's like Seinfeld. And I don't know what his political aspirations are. He, he, he I think he said in, in interviews, he put the rumors to bed that he's not, like, going to jump into the, the presidential race or anything like that, although I think he'd make a terrific VP for somebody. You know, I don't know if he ruled that out. I don't know what he ruled out or didn't rule out. But, like, you know, obviously Bob Iger is... is Fairly well-liked executive. He's got a, a great head on his shoulders. Um, just wrote a book about his, his experiences and leadership and all that. And, I, you know, he, he'd certainly be, be better than the, the moron who's in office right now. So, um, But he leaves Disney at, like, the right time. Uh, he just launched Disney+. Plus. You know, it hasn't... I don't know if it's been that successful a launch because it really just had the Mandalorian and then the library and the library is great, but like people want new people want new, you know, and that's why I've just spent so much time on Netflix and lately on Amazon. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not using that service nearly as much. So the, the, the Disney plus one. So, but he, you know, he did that. He did ESPN plus like Robert Iger is 
like the model sort of executive. I think he's who a lot of people in this town model themselves after. And his departure, even though he's still like the executive chairman and, and is supposedly going to still be very hands-on creatively, he like he's no longer handling the day-to-day. And, you know, I, he's going to ride off into the sunset sooner rather than later uh, completely. So, that, you know, that that was a big loss for Disney. And then Steven Spielberg this week stepping down as the director of Indiana Jones 5. Now, I've never been a big Indiana Jones person. Uh, when Crystal Skull was coming out, I tried to watch rewatch the original trilogy, and I think I made it through this half half of the second film, and then I just sort of lost interest. I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to bother seeing Crystal Skull, and I still haven't seen it to this day. So it doesn't have like that bad. I don't have that bad taste in my mouth that a lot of people have with this franchise. Uh, I I don't know if I'd like be there opening night. You know. I love James Mangold. I think he's going to do right by this franchise. I think he's a great choice. Sort of the next, he's in that, I'm not even going to say the J.J. Abrams, Matt Reeves kind of mold because he's he's older and more experienced than both those guys. And he's made uh, some great movies. Like I followed Mangold's career from the very beginning. I loved Heavy. I've always had a soft spot for movies about overweight people, which is why I love Angus. Uh, and, and I mean, that, that and many reasons, but heavy is, is a tremendous movie. And if you haven't seen it, I suggest you all do obviously then, then Copland, he did, you know, just solid movies, uh, whether it's walk the line, 310 to Yuma, and then lately getting into just like, I think great movies, Logan and, um, Ford versus Ferrari. So like he's been on this upward trajectory for a while and, like it, it makes sense that Stephen would give his baby to someone, you know, like Mangold. If his heart just truly isn't in it, the same way Iger's didn't seem to be, maybe in it anymore. Like he's taken things about as far as he can. <laughs> Echoes of Pete Davidson this week, which we'll get into later. Um, but uh, like for for Stephen to step down, I wonder if it really is just like the script, or if he's realizing. You know, this thing does just work better with Harrison Ford, and I don't know how to tell him, so I'm just going to recuse myself. I, I think, I think Matt Goldberg, it, uh, I think it was Matt Goldberg who wrote something for Collider about how like Indiana Jones needs to be recast. Like they just need to reboot him right now. Harrison Ford is too old to play this character. I don't even know if that's necessarily true. Particularly everything that you know you saw them do with like the Irishman. I think uh, Disney and its wizards over there could probably do a little bit better. Um, you know, Lucasfilm and, and all those folks. But uh, I, I, I've never seen the appeal. I, I think adventure is a very tricky genre because um, these aren't action movies, you know. They're like it, adventure movies, and so there's something a little, you know, 50s serial hokey. I've always found it a little hokey. I'm not going to lie. And, but Mangold certainly has, I think, a little bit of a darkness about him. And I think it could really serve this, this movie quite well. So we'll see sort of how it comes together. What is the thing that they're, Indiana Jones is chasing or whatever? What does the supporting cast look like? Is Are the Chris Pratt rumors legitimate? Or because uh, David Poland asked me on Twitter the other day, like, is he still a thing? And I'm not sure that he is. Like, I really don't hear about a, lot, a ton of Chris Pratt stuff. Not like I used to, where his name was just, like, at the top of every list for everything. Um, and then, you know, in, in 
additional but, but, but okay so by the way that is another uh director that kathleen kennedy has lost on her watch now nobody tells steven spielberg what to do you can and, and they go back since that first indiana jones movie where i think she was his assistant um or someone's assistant on that production but they've known each other since before i was born and i, ca- I can't really put this one on kathleen kennedy it's not like she tried to make it work or you know got to pick who was directing this movie. Like it was always Steven and Steven does what he wants. And if, and if Steven, yeah, if he just feels like I've kind of already done this, do I really need to be like Michael Bay and, and need to direct every single thing in this franchise? I think he probably knew better. So I'm, I'm open to that fresh perspective and we are going to be getting a fresh perspective on star Wars as well. Kathleen Kennedy hiring slight director JD Dillard, who is a J.J. Abrams protege, and Luke Cage writer Matt Owens to write a new Star Wars movie. Uh, now, if this thing makes it to the big screen, I think that they will be the first um, black writers that the film has ever had, if I'm not mistaken, that the franchise has ever had, sorry. Uh, which is, like, that's that's incredible. That's something. It's, it's sad that it's taken as long as it did, as long as it has. Um, but that's the question. We don't know whether this is a theatrical thing or whether it's going to wind up on Disney+. Plus. We don't know what they're writing. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, if, you, if anyone you know, has read Boris Kitt, you know, more than five articles by the guy, God love him, he has you know, his, his little trademarks. And one of them is always you know, the, where the plot de- details will be kept because I'm, I'm always like you know, plot details will be kept under wraps. And it's kind of a lazy phrase. And so he tries to inject a little you know, uh, fanboy knowledge and humor into it. And, you know, he said plot details are being kept uh, on someplace, some Star Wars planet or something, because I don't know what the hell this shit is. And then Deadline started picking it up as, like, a legitimate thing. And listen, maybe it is. Maybe Boris guessed it. Maybe he knew and this was his cheeky way of uh, addressing it without sort of addressing it. Uh, But Deadline, again, so again, this could be totally legit for all I know. I, I have no fucking idea. But it seemed like Deadline just picked it up from him, not knowing that it was a joke, and reported it as like, wh- like what the actual plot is about. Like, I think it was Exegol or something. Exegol? I don't know how they pronounce these things in Star Wars land. Um, which was just hilarious. <laughs> like, if you, yeah. <laughs> um, so props, props to uh, THR for actually calling that, that ridiculous uh, shenanigans out. Um... What else? Was there anything else to say about Disney? I mean, yeah, like the the stock stuff is is bad for everybody, but for Disney in particular, given like the park situation, um, that's now on Bob Chet. Like you know that <laughs> Bob Iger is like, here you go. Like the stock is absolutely tanked. Like this is your problem now, Bob. And Chappic, you know, now whatever happens, like, and it could get worse, obviously. It obviously could get a lot worse. The stocks could just plummet. But if the stocks do rebound, Chappie's like, well, look, from day one, I, I, I've brought up the stock price. So it's uh, I, I think he's set up for success thanks to thanks to Iger. Um, it's the same thing with Mangold. Like, I think that he is set up for success by Steven Spielberg. You know, I wouldn't be surprised though if Mangold brought, did his own or brought someone in to do his own pass on Indy 5. Like, I wonder what that whole situation is. I did see John Kasdan cheering him on. He was the last reported writer on things, having replaced uh, David Kep. So, yeah. Indiana Jones. Do we need this franchise? Should we put this thing to bed? 
My pal Drew McGuini, by the way, has a great idea for it. I won't spoil what it is, um, but he he has a very inspired idea of where to take this franchise. And if I was a Lucasfilm executive for James Mangold, I would definitely uh, give my pal Moriarty, Drew McGuini, a call. Um, but yeah, excited about that Star Wars news. Again, not really a Star Wars guy either. Sorry, Lucasfilm. It's just it's it's not my bag between Indiana Jones and Star Wars. But J.D. Dillard, I've been advocating for for a long time. I was a real big fan of Slight. Like I, I really thought like he did a lot with a little on that, and he's got a lot more resources to play with now. So I'm excited to see where he takes things. Again, I'd always I wonder if they turn to them to like restart that Boba Fett movie. Uh, you know, because I, I, I think J.D. Dillard, because I'd always heard Michael B. Jordan would love to get in on the Star Wars franchise. And it'd be crazy if J.D. Dillard was writing something for Michael B. right now. Um, What else? There's a lot of stuff on Mulan this week. I mean, uh, listen, I'm going to see Mulan because I think that it's important that I do. I haven't seen a lot of the Disney live action movies. I haven't seen Cinderella. Uh. Did I see Beauty and the Beast? I think I maybe did. Um, but like Maleficent, uh, there's just a bunch that I've sort of sat out. I saw Dumbo. Um, but, you know, Mulan, I'm like, does this really appeal to me? I don't know that it does. But again, like I said, I think it's it's an important movie to see. I, I commend Disney for making it. And so Wendy Lee Zaney, who I work with and is the best person ever, she she got to visit the set, which is like imagine that that's that's wild. I don't know where the set was, um, but it, like the photos that that accompanied her report, I, I forget where it was, but the the photos that accompanied it were awesome, and and she did a great job with the set visit, which are you know they're always tricky, particularly Disney set visits because everybody knows that the press is on set that day and to hide certain things and. Um, I mean, you know, Mulan is a less secretive production than a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie, obviously. But it's just, it's always hard to, like, make these things worthwhile. And I think Wendy did did a great job. Um, so you can find out why Captain Lee Shang, the fan favorite, is, is not in the movie. And you can find out all kinds of, of fun stuff if you're looking forward to Mulan. Uh, I saw Parasites coming to Hulu. I think I owe that movie a rewatch. I want to see how it holds up on, on second viewing. So as a Hulu subscriber, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Uh, the coronavirus. This thing's scary, guys. Like, I don't, I, some, I can't tell if it's the media, which is typically terrible with regard to, like, reporting on medical stuff and particularly viruses because the media's job is to make you guys afraid. And they've made me afraid. That's for sure. And when I see, I think I had some like chart that that I put on Twitter, and it was just crazy how much faster coronavirus seems to be spreading, and how many more victims it's claiming than something like SARS or the bird flu or whatever the hell you know it was over the last five, ten, fifteen years. Uh, this seems like no joke, and and Hollywood is taking it very seriously. And it's like I struggled sort of how to phrase this stuff in the because I've been doing drafts of the newsletter that you guys have not been receiving yet, but you're going to. You're going you're going to be signing up, please. This thing's going to be a success. I put too much effort in to let it fail. Uh but it, it's like tricky to talk about how much this is costing Hollywood when it's costing people their lives. Um like, you know, the the, the human toll uh, you know, this virus is, is really becoming no joke. And it's so, 
even my dad, you know, I called him this morning on the way into the, the office and he was talking about how, I think it was Colbert, maybe him and another late night host who were joking about the coronavirus and making jokes about how to put the mask on. And he was just like, ah, I didn't really find it very funny. And I'm like, listen, those guys' jobs is to uh, are to entertain us and to distract us from the horrible shit that's actually happening in the world and to, t- to make it so that we can go to sleep at night with all this stuff happening. So I, I, I don't blame them for making light of it, but it obviously is no joke, and it has shut down Mission Impossible 7 in Italy. Uh, again, I think things are a little bit different overseas um, than in America, but it may be na- naive of me to think that. Uh, Mulan star Liu Yafei, she came for, she like hails from Wuhan. Uh, where the vi- virus like originated, and um, China has obviously closed hundreds and hundreds of movie theaters. I think Disney pulled the Mulan release in China. A lot of other movies, uh, you know, they're gonna have to wait a while, right, to get new slots on the calendar, so to speak. And in that time, there's gonna be a ton of piracy, as there always is in that particular market. So, it's like our heart. My heart goes out to everybody you know, who's affected by this horrible virus. Um, and yet at the same time as a reporter, it's like my sort of duty to, to talk about how much money it's costing studios, which, you know, seems like a, an insignificant thing at, at a time like this. So, you know, I, I hope that they, that the world gets this thing contained, uh, not just, you know, f- for the world's sake, but for Hollywood's sake as well. Um, yeah. Little Shop of Horrors. Greg Berlanti is doing a movie over at Warner Brothers, and what I told you months ago in October seems to be true. Billy Porter is uh, nearing a deal to to voice the man-eating plant, Audrey the second, Audrey two, if you will. Uh, Chris Evans is now in, in talks to play the dentist. I'd said that he was uh, lobbying for the role back then. His own father is actually a dentist. That's what makes it kind of amazing. Uh, Taron Egerton and Scarlett Johansson are in talks to play the leads. Um, I think it like this is like a best case scenario. If all these four deals close, like this movie is greenlit going tomorrow. Like uh, I really did not think that they would land this kind of talent for this movie. Taron Egerton and I know like these are obviously very beautiful leads. Like I don't know if if that's supposed to be the case in Little Shop of Horrors. But you can't really ask for, like, Taron Edgerton has, has a ton of goodwill coming off his Elton John performance. Scarlett Johansson just got uh, two Oscar nominations, right? Like, like, Chris Evans is hot off the Avengers franchise. Like, this is, you couldn't really ask for more. And I, I think that they, most of them, for the, uh, for the most part, fit, fit the roles. So I've always liked Little Shop of Horrors. I don't know that this movie's going to top the Frank Oz movie. You know, with uh, with Rick Moranis and and Ellen Green, but it's it's a fun Warner Brothers movie to look forward to. That's for sure. Um, what else? What else? What else? Bong Joon Ho did a list of the twenty rising filmmakers to watch this coming decade. It was a good list. You know, a lot of the names you would expect. Uh, Ari, and he's a dark guy. He likes dark stuff. Uh, so, Ari, is it Ari Aster or Ari Aster? I think it's Ari Aster. Uh, who did Hereditary and, and Midsummer? Jennifer Kent, who did The Babadook and the Nightingale. Robert Eggers was on it. Um, 
you know, so it had some predictable names, and then you know, it introduced me to some names that I'd never even heard of. Uh, I was glad that Chloe Zhao was on that list. I thought the writer was was terrific. I'm looking forward to her next film. I think it's with, uh, I think it's with, is it with Francis McDormand. Yeah. Um, so ch- yeah, check that list out on Collider, uh, and also Bibiani did an interesting list of uh, the 25 best classic monster movies. Uh, there were things that I never heard of before, really just out there concepts, and you know nobody knows this stuff better than Bib. So check that out. Um, man, what else happened this week? Oh, I wrote I wrote a thing about Pete Davidson. That's right, I, I had mentioned that, and Pete Davidson apparently is saying that he is going to leave. SNL like I mean he didn't actually say this of course that's just what's being extrapolated from the interview but he sort of hinted that he's done all that he can uh, and that it may be time like he'll stick around as long as Lorne will have him but it seems like he's sort of soft prepping the public for an exit and frankly I think it's time I, I, I think that he is sort of underutilized on the show he the show is way too political and Pete Davidson doesn't really play. He's not like a real impressionist, like, and so so he doesn't really fit in with the political material. You know, he's sort of become like a weekend update, like a celebrity to have on Weekend Update almost. And, and he really is more of a celebrity than a, an SNL player these days. And I think that when you start to overshadow the show, it may be time to go. Um, now he's got a Judd Apatow movie coming out, The King of Staten Island, which. You know, I trust Judd Apatow in terms of the making the comedy stars of tomorrow. Like, would you have guessed that guys like Seth Rogen or even James Franco would be the, the stars of your favorite comedies for like a solid decade? No. So I, I think that if this movie is really good, it could totally launch Pete Davidson. He's already got this big time adolescence, which was very well received out of Sundance last year and Hulu held it the entire year. I don't know what was really behind that, but I think that you know, they couldn't really ask for better timing. Pete just dropped a Netflix special that I thought was pretty good. You know, it wasn't hilarious, but it it was good. Speaking of which, I went to uh, Dynasty Typewriter. If you're in the L.A. area, definitely check out the Comedy Club, Dynasty Typewriter. They get some great names. It's a fun little theater uh, over on the east side. And um, so I went to go see Joe Mandy and Dimitri Martin and Sashir Zameda from SNL and Luke Null. And then there was this uh, this young woman Taylor Tomlinson who just has a uh, who has a new Netflix special as well. She was hilarious. She blew me away. Like this girl's an absolute star. Uh, like I, I would definitely be trying to if I was a studio executive, I'd be trying to build something around her right now. Um, what else? Like anyway, that it was it was a very very fun night for sure. But any but right okay. So we were Stephanie and I. It was a motherfucking date night. Okay. We're in the front row, dead center, best seats in the house. Like it doesn't get any better than this. And like I'm giving Luke Null fist bumps. Everybody's like incorporating me into the show, which you know I, I'm I'm the center of attention practically, as far as an audience member is concerned, which you guys know I love. And there's this guy behind me whose laugh is just maybe the worst laugh I've ever heard. Uh, and and there are, I've heard a lot of bad laughs, believe me. I some might even say I have a bad laugh. I laugh like a, it's very high pitch and it's very hyena like. But this guy's laugh was so deep and loud, and he was laughing crazy loud at like you know funny things, but things that weren't like that funny. 
And and Stephanie and I are just like keep looking at each other like is this guy fucking for real? Like I can't turn around and say, "Hey man, don't laugh." Like it's a comedy club. That's what people are supposed to do. But it was like it was like something out of a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. So fortunately, the show had an intermission. And I go up to the staff, and I'm like, listen, man, I've got the best seats in the house. And he's like, hurry it up. And you're like, I'm very busy. So like, what do you want? I'm like, I need new seats. I need new seats. You, you should have no problem filling my seats. They're great, but I need new seats in the back because this guy is ruining my fucking night. The guy's like, oh, totally understand. No problem. They got me the seats. Thank you so much. I, they were beautiful seats in, in the back, dead center again. And, like, right off the bat, comic comes out. He looks at the empty seats in the front row. He's like, what the fuck is this? Like, were these reserved for my parents or something? So, like, he incorporated then the seats that I had left into the act. And then another, he made a joke about an altar boy. And the guy, he, he called the guy out on laughing loud. Basically, he's like, this guy sounds like he used to be an altar boy. Like, I was, And I went up to, uh, at the end of the intermission, I went to our neighbors in the front row before we departed the seats. And I said, uh... You know, like, is it just me or is this guy, like, the worst laugher of all time? And they were like, he's horrible. Like, we, you know, we, we were going to say something. Uh, and I was like, well, I'm getting out of here. Like, it was been, it's been nice knowing you guys. Enjoy the rest of the show. But I definitely took the initiative on that one. Uh, so thank you to the fi- fine folks at Dynasty Typewriter. Um, guys, I, for, I watched all of the morning show this week. What a great show about... Me too about consent. And I feel like Apple was almost like afraid of the subject matter in this. And and like they were trying to pitch like, oh, no, it's about a morning show. And like, I'm like, no, this is pretty much just about me too and consent and all that. And those very thorny elements, particularly in the business of Hollywood, where, you know, people are working 12, 14, 16 hour days, sometimes 18 hour days if they're on set. Like, things happen. People get close, and and they have no other, they have no time to find another outlet, and so they just turn in, and and that's how office romances start. And listen, I know plenty of couples in Hollywood who are a direct result of of office romances, Um, but, like, the skill of the morning show is the way that it gets you to at first empathize with with. Steve Carell's character a little bit and, and you know you, you have people coming up to him saying hey man you you know you got a raw, raw deal and then when you finally see not not the not the big thing that he's been accused of you don't see any you don't see that scene in flashback but you see other sort of things and it does sort of establish a pattern a predatory pattern and, and like there's an amazing scene halfway through this series between uh, Carell and Martin Short. And it's basically a scene, you know, as my pal Justin Kroll uh, said, that is between, um, <laughs> sorry, Matt Lauer and Woody Allen. And, you know, Matt Lauer's like, I'm nothing, you know, like like you. like, And he, and he sort of gets, like, self-righteous about it. And, and, um, and when you, yeah, it's just, it was, it was incredible to, to see my mind sort of go back and forth, uh, on, on certain things in this series, which is, you know, gotta be like a career highlight for Jen Aniston. I thought she was absolutely fantastic. Seems like a guaranteed Emmy golden, golden globe nominee. And, you know, like this isn't, I don't think this is like a limited series. Like I think this is coming back for a second season. So this is a series, which I think 
there's like, are you telling me? I'm, I'm not even going to point out specifics, but uh, I think Jennifer Anderson's going to be a, a nominee pretty comfortably based on her work on this show. Reese Witherspoon, I thought was really good, and, and um, God, I love Duplass. I love Billy Crudup. Like the, the show is just fantastically cast and and superbly written and observed. Now it's a little clunky at times, and there's definitely it's prone to like Sorkin esque monologuing. But I fucking, I just thought it was a really complex, complicated view of things that really asks the right questions and, and picks the right targets as well. You know, there, there's an element about how much uh, the network president knew about Steve Carell's behavior and, and you know, insulated him. Um, yeah, I, I just it, it, it snuck up on me, and I know I'm late to the party on on the morning show. I did not uh, really dive into the Apple stuff at the same time that everybody else did. It took me a while to get uh, a a press site login, but I've you know really been trying to take advantage of it lately. And yeah, I mean that that, that that's a that's a good show. That's a show worth spending five six bucks for the month to sign up and and watch it like a normal person rather than binging it like I did. Um, I also saw The Invisible Man this week. Get out there and see The Invisible Man, folks. This is kind of a special movie. It's not a perfect movie. It definitely has some flaws. It ties itself into you know into one too many knots, maybe. Like, there are one too many... There's one beat that just feels like a little false. And, um, but like, you know, I don't want to nitpick this thing. It's great. It's absolutely great. And, and... Everybody's been talking about the direction, like the way that Lee Winnell uses empty space and makes you wonder, is there something there? Is there, you know, is there somebody there? Uh, I love the score, the cinematography. Like Elizabeth Moss is absolutely terrific. And I mean, she's always, she's always great, but I think that this is better than Tony Collette in Hereditary and better than Lupita Nyong'o in Us. I think that this is like a, a legit performance that could actually, I'm not going to say that it's like going to get nominated or whatever. I'm just saying I would take this more seriously than something like Us uh, or Hereditary. Um, yeah, Lee Winnell. Like, listen, I think Saw is a masterpiece. I think Saw is a brilliant, brilliant screenplay. Like to To trick an audience like that, I mean, I, I, my job was like on the floor the first time I saw Saw. And that's from the mind of Lee Winnell. And, and he's definitely been sort of stuck doing um, some sort of schlocky stuff, I think, over the years. Uh, he definitely lost me there for a few years. But Upgrade was really showed what I think he could do. And I'm glad that Blumhouse and Universal gave him this opportunity. I mean, budget was still only just $7 million. And this thing's on, I think it's poised to make 20 or 25 or something like that, maybe even 30 this weekend. I haven't checked the, the, the stats from last night. But I think that word of mouth is going to spread. I think this is like couples are going to go see this movie. Um, I could see older women liking this movie too. Like, you know, when I was telling my dad, like, he should go see it, I, I had to say, like, this is not a horror movie that they're sort of selling it as. This is a, a thriller. And really, like a psychological thriller. Um, Matt Goldberg reviewed it for Collider, calling it a story that's not just chilling and scary, but thoughtful and and, and insightful. So go uh, and read his review. Um, we also got right the first trailer for Candyman. Oh shit! I've got a, a personal connection to Candyman. I feel like uh, in my head, anyways, because my dad is the Candyman. 
He was in the candy business. His nickname was the Candyman. He had clothing that was embroidered with Candyman on it. And we had in our lovely, beautifully furnished home, thanks to my mother, who had impeccable taste, we had this gigantic fucking Candyman poster that instead of from the mind of Clive Barker said from the mind of Carrie Snyder. And it was dad's head superimposed on uh, Tony Todd's body. So it was just like always something that I grew up with. It was one of the earliest movies that I saw a woman's breasts in, strangely enough. Uh, when Virginia Madsen is like stripping at the police station and I think she has to remove her, her shirt and her bra. And I mean, her, her boobs are just like caked in blood. Uh, it, but for some reason, as like an eight or nine year old, whenever that I saw that, I was like uh, very, very uh, aroused. I remember um, <laughs> just what you guys tuned in to hear. But uh, Candyman, just like that score from Philip Glass, Virginia Madsen, an absolutely terrific performance. And then Tony Todd turned himself into like an iconic horror franchise villain. And that movie just had a huge impact on on a young, very young Jeff Snyder. Um. What else happened this week? Right, we got our first looks at the Eddie. Reviews on that have been mostly positive. It's a I don't even know if I'm it's like a very jazz jazztastic new series, I want to say. With uh, Andre Holland, Amanda Stenberg, and then Matt Reeves uh, Tales from the Loop. Mark Romanek directed the pilot. This is like based on some crazy Swedish artists, the work of some crazy crazy Swedish artists. Uh, it just looks very trippy and and futuristic and I'm down to check that out on Amazon when uh, I get access to that. Uh, a lot of stuff going on in the streaming world. Walmart and is is like I think that they're going to sell their Voodoo service to NBC Universal. Uh, that conglomerate is in talks for it. But then Walmart is also planning to launch its own Amazon competitor called Walmart Plus, and it would it, it too would like create its own content, which is crazy, uh, as if there aren't enough uh, content players these days. Um. What else? All right, so there was the Lizzie McGuire series that that we found out is on hold because they fired the original like creator. Like things were maybe a little bit too mature uh, for the Lizzie McGuire audience, and so they wanted, uh, you know, they were just like, "Listen, this isn't for Disney Plus." And so now they're like, "Well, you know, why isn't it maybe for Hulu? Why don't we make it for them?" And they're just like, not getting any answers. Uh, poor, poor Duff, poor H Duff. Um. And then Netflix this week started letting people know about, like, the top ten, like, what are the most popular things people are watching on Netflix. I don't know if I trust this. Um, I mean, it just seems like something that they could so easily sort of change or, or manipulate in some way to sort of drive people to certain titles. But even if I am to take them at their word, what do I care what's popular with Joe Schmo? Like, I, I trust my own taste I trust I trust the algorithm over uh, other people, frankly, which which says it all. Um, do, 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 do Watchmen reclassified as a limited series with possible future installments. That seems like the the way to do it because what HBO you know I think that they have something special on their hands and if they can somehow recreate that without having to mess with the original story, which they said was you know closed ended, uh, all the better. And then uh, I, I love the back and forth between David Wheel, the creator of Amazon's Hunters, and the Auschwitz Memorial, just who you want to be battling with. I don't think that, that is the uh, position any uh, streaming services Emmy contender wants to be in when you find yourself in a war of words with the Auschwitz mem Memorial. Whew. Okay. Um, 
What else is coming out, man? Next week we got The Way Back, right? I'm excited to see that, the Ben Affleck movie. Uh, I'm just a big Ben Affleck guy. I'm also a big guy uh, in terms of, like, fighting injustices online. I feel like I, you know, some people perceive me to be the bully, but I'd like to think that uh, I fight for the little guy because I was the little guy. I, I am the little guy right now in Collider doing battle against the big bad trades. And so I started paying attention to the situation that was developing this week um, where, geez, okay, so there was some writer, Delara, from Much Ado About Film, I want to say. Forgive me if I get these things wrong because I don't know who these people are. Um, And some DM of hers from years ago surfaced in which she used the N-word. Obviously not appropriate uh, at all. Um, but also, like, I, I don't know what the... By the way, I, I didn't actually even see the offending tweet. I didn't see the DM. I don't know who she sent the DM to or what the context was. So it's hard to address the actual usage of the N-word besides a blanket. This is not cool. Um, obviously a, a mistake, but, you know, one that, you know, shouldn't shouldn't kill you. Um, but apparently the abuse that she was getting from people, uh, and it's not that she, I don't know if, again, I don't know if she called someone the N word or just used the N word, but it seemed like people were jumping on her and she is very, she was very emotional, maybe having some issues of her own and she threatened to kill herself. And so things got serious and I, and like I, when I first started following this, it was like after Barry Jenkins, I think had jumped in. You know, I think that's the first thing I saw. It was just like, hey, Barry Jenkins had to jump in on this. I was like, well, what, what is this? What am, I, what am I reading? So I was sort of just following this situation, and it's all about this, this guns. So this guns akimbo director, this, this idiot Jason Lee Howden, who I, I don't know what this guy was thinking. Um, maybe his movie hasn't been tracking well, and he wanted to, like, stir up some controversy, and, and it certainly did make headlines, but it was trending for all the wrong reasons. And, uh, you know, I would know because I'd been there. Uh, so I guess he went after uh, two of the women who, I don't know, I don't even know if they had even said anything to, to Delara. Um, I don't know how he, he found these two, why he targeted these two. They happen to be um, two women who, you know, I don't really follow on Twitter. I, I think I blocked them a, a while ago. Uh you know, just just not my bag. Didn't feel like I was theirs. So what what's the point of this? You know. So, but but just because you know I've blocked somebody doesn't mean I can't empathize with them when something is clearly out of place. And so this director, I think, had sort of targeted them and like put their photos up online. I don't know what kind of a following this guy had. Really, it's not like it was like you know someone with like a zillion followers, um, but. Oh, wait, I want to make sure I get but, but right. So he, he just started like hurling in, invective and, and attacking these women. And it was like, you know, a, a case of, of online bullying, which is the same thing that happened uh, to, to this girl, Delar. Um, and so I, I guess I started like I, I, what I when I really started paying attention was when people were like, is Guns Akimbo losing its distribution or is it not coming out at the end of the month? Because, like, that's when I, as an industry reporter, I'm like, well, now we have a story. If Saban is actually, like, you know, seeing this stuff. And and apparently the guy was tweeting, like, he moved from his own personal Twitter to the movie's Twitter. 
which is like insane, <laughs> insane behavior for a director. Insane that a studio would would allow that for more than uh, you know one tweet. Um, and so, uh, so okay, wh- so so I'm like, where are we in the story? So. I guess, okay, I guess after sort of people had chased this guy off of Twitter, uh, you know, so they'd taken away the Guns Akimbo account uh, keys from him. I guess he moved, like, and this is alleged because I don't even know if it's true. <laughs> he moved over reportedly because I, I think it could be totally somebody else. Someone created, I'm just going to say someone created this fuck journos account, which I can't believe I hadn't thought of personally myself before. Um and 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 they were like still keeping it up, and so absent-mindedly one morning, and not even absent-mindedly, but like I, I saw someone had pointed this thing out, and I just like went and clicked follow because like oh I want to stay on top of the situation like oh, if this guy's like still doing this and you know things are in, in, intensifying or whatever it is like I, I want to keep abreast of the situation. Didn't think about it the rest of the day. Didn't see any tweets from that account either uh, because I think everything that they were doing was a reply of sort. And so I'm sitting in bed. It's like 1130 at night. And I get a DM from a a, a, a mysterious friend of mine. And he's like, hey, man, I just want to let you know, like, people are, like, saying shit about you on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I couldn't see any of it because I had blocked all these people already. That's why they're blocked. And the shit that was being flown my way from this was unbelievable. So because I followed this account, which I guess only had six followers. <laughs> I lo- by the way, I love anyone who's going through like the list of followers on Twitter uh, and, and extrapolating something from this. I've got Eric Anderson from Awards Watch being like, you know, tagging Collider on Twitter as if he's trying to, like, get me in trouble or get me fired or something. I wonder what Collider thinks about Jeff Snyder following this account. I don't get, like, I'll say it right now. I don't give a fuck what Collider thinks about me following an account because this is America, and I'll follow any fucking account that I want. So it's like, in this very story about, bully, like, online bullying, right, the dangers of it, on both sides... From like multiple people, this guy wants to continue that, that that cycle of abuse. Pulls me in from out of nowhere. I haven't tweeted about the situation at all. I've simply clicked a follow button. Sorry, I gotta put my phone on on silent here. And like targets me for harassment and bullying, for the crime of hitting a follow button. A follow is not an endorsement these days. I'm a journalist keeping track, trying to keep track of a story. I don't follow Donald Trump on Twitter. Most of the people that I know do because they love just jumping on every fucking tweet that, that Trump sends. I don't assume you're a Trump voter if you follow Donald Trump. It's like the most fucking asinine logic. And when people, like, again, I'm not a political person. The first time I voted, the first time was Hillary Clinton. I didn't vote before then. So I recognize the danger already. Uh, but, like, you guys got to be fucking shitting me. Like, you can't start going after people based on who they follow. It's like accusing someone of a crime based on the movies they like or the books that they read. Like, it's fucking insane. And where are we 
in society where like we allow this to happen. And I haven't gotten any fucking apology from Eric Anderson because you know we all we all know the type of guy that, that this is, right? We do. So good luck with your site. And I, I'm I'm ready to move on. Like it wasn't I, I unfollowed uh, fuck journos because it's not even worth it to me. Like I wanted to help somehow talk about it, you know, with a very different tone this morning. Uh, and I remain sympathetic to the cause and to the two women who, even though I, I have blocked them and I may not be a personal fan of theirs, I completely acknowledge that they're in the right here. And and it's not, you know, fair what what happened to them. It's not fair what happened to, to Delara. The whole situation sucks. But when you start playing the look at the, the this fucking asshole following this account, how dare he? Let's get him fired. Like, what are you doing? It's like Sebastian Maniscalco goes, what are you doing? Fucking people, guys. Oh, what else am I, am I watching? What else is happening this week? I'm checking the headlines as we talk. Blah, blah, blah. America Ferrer leaving Superstore. How will the store continue? Um... Blah, blah, blah. There's nothing. That, guys, that, that's that's really been the week. Um, zero, zero, zero I can talk about. I do have a review coming. We decided to hold it a little bit closer to the premiere date, but I loved it. I thought it was really something. It, 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 it is at its weakest when it focuses on the actors that you uh, are aware of, and the series does star uh, Andrea Riseborough and Dane DeHaan, and they're both good. But it, I think it soars when it, it, it focuses on its Mexican characters and its Italian characters. And I can't wait to sort of get into more specifics. And um, But I would definitely like add that to your watch list. Keep that show on your radar because I was very, very impressed. What else did I do this week? Was that I, wa- I watched a couple of movies. I watched Sneakers and Donnybrook uh, for the first time. Wasn't that impressed with either one. I mean, Sneakers, I can see how that might have been cool in 1992. And, you know, it was a fun little caper but um i don't think it's one that i'm going to be revisiting anytime soon the cast was fun i really like david Stra- uh, Strathairn, but uh yeah i don't know if that's a, sta- a a standout for me in the robert redford sydney poitier filmography um and then Donnie brook you know i had seen dark knight i wasn't a, a big fan of that at all i don't know if tim sutton it's just not for me Donnie Burke was okay, uh, but it was kind of just like a bunch of indie movie cliches, and it moved uh, a little slow for my taste. Um, and, yeah, it uses, like, this opera music as to give it, like, this sort of fake profundity, uh, profoundness, whatever the word is. I don't know. I'm an idiot. <laughs> but I didn't um, didn't really jive with that one. Um, you know what? Let's call it. Let's just call it right there, guys. Uh, go see the Invisible Man this weekend. Check out Perry Nemiroff's interview with Elizabeth Moss, who came on Ladies' Night and had all kinds of fun stuff to say. We have, yeah, we have a segment called Collider's Lady Collider Ladies' Night. It's a lot of fun. Um, good luck to Hillary Clinton, who's going to be my podcast rival. You know, even though I voted for her, she's now entering the podcast space, guys. Uh, I hope that you'll stay with me. I know she's going to have some some wild movie opinions, though, that, that Hillary Clinton. Uh, have a wonderful weekend. Wear your masks. 
or don't. Just live life. Let it happen. I'm at the In Snyder on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Cameo, wherever In Snyders are, are sold, found, traded illegally on the black market. Thank you for watching. Tell a friend. Shop Black Friday week deals Sunday through Friday at Kohl's. Plus, get $15 Kohl's cash for every $50 spent. And take an extra 15% off. Get the big one throws, $849. Toastmaster small appliances are just $214 after rebate. And Fitbit Versa 2 is $129.99. Plus, take 30% off Lego, 70% off fine jewelry, and save on boots for her, $16.99. Plus, get fast and free store pickup. Shop Black Friday week deals at Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles offers valid November 22nd through the 27th. 15% off with promo code Enjoy15. Lego and Fitbit offers and coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more.